Welcome to the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player, and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon, and I'm the host of a Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respect to the Kaurna people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Kaurna people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Welcome to newcomers listening to the podcast. We love hearing the diverse reasons why teachers are joining. So much deep and creative literacy work going on in schools. Some of the recent comments that we've got from people joining our Teachers Toolkit for Literacy Facebook group. Um, Just a few comments to share. Someone said, I'm passionate about nurturing my students to develop a love of reading. I'm a literacy leader at my school and I'm looking to learn and make connections with others in the field. Another one, I'm a school services officer and have felt renewed in my knowledge through listening to the podcasts. And lastly, someone wrote in, I'm delighted to know there's help in the form of Teacherific resources. So if you're not a member of the Teachers Toolkit Facebook group, we'd love you to join if you feel that that's something that would support you in your learning and introduce yourself to the group. And welcome to this podcast called How Do We Teach Comprehension? And we bring this one to you with the wonderful help of Diane Snowball. So welcome to the podcast, Di. Thank you, Sharon. (laughs) And Di, expert educator, regular guest on the podcast and someone who you've spent a lot of time in the space of comprehension. So we're really excited to be drawing on your insights and um, knowledge that we can uh, think and talk about today as we think about teaching comprehension. So first up, before we begin comprehension chat, what have you been up to lately, Di? Um, rereading everything that I've written <laughs> and read before about <laughs> teaching comprehension. I sort of wonder at my age, will I start to forget things? <laughs> so uh, no, a lot of that. Um, yeah. I've been working in a school with a graduate teacher And that's always a really good thing to do because it brings us back to uh, realising how much there is to learn and we can't make it overwhelming for graduate teachers. But at the same time, there's so much for them to need to know in the teaching of reading and you feel like you wish you could just do it all so quickly because every day that goes by... Um, there are children waiting to learn to read (laughs) and uh, what we do as teachers makes a big difference but you know she works really hard and is very keen to learn and it's just wonderful to work with teachers like that. Yes yes and and I must add that um, in this last week I had the absolute privilege and pleasure of working with 14 early career teachers Um, in part of the project schools that we're working in. So that 
that was tremendous to spend I get to spend two days with them so we had one day last week and we made comprehension one of those areas of focus so, that's great yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so um and I suppose sort of in leading into today, you know, why we're bringing this um, topic of teaching comprehension, um, you've already drawn on one of those factors is there's always still things to be learning about it, you know, that it's yeah. not, you know, we we don't just, okay, we've got this, you know, we keep thinking and learning and building our repertoire of knowledge around the teaching of comprehension so that we can really support and um deepen our students understanding more as we go along and and in fact I'm surprised maybe I'm surprised or maybe I'm not maybe because we keep thinking about it too but it's a question I still get asked so frequently even from um, more experienced teachers that this idea of you know how do um, you know how can I really deepen comprehension how can I, you know, they do a lot of work and a lot of teaching around it and I suppose we're always still seeking better ways, better insights into that. Um, and so teachers are often saying, look, I'm still wondering, are students really getting deeper at their understanding or am I doing a lot of teaching and it's not being transferred? So that's something we will explore today. And as teachers, we, we need to know some of those steps to get started and really work towards that transfer that we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's interesting that when I first started to write about the teaching of comprehension, it was because when I was working in New York and other parts of the United States, that many teachers were asking those questions. Mm. And so, and I thought everybody wants to know about how to do it. So we should just provide some sort of professional resource because they can't all go to professional courses out of school or during vacations or whatever, and they don't necessarily know where to go to read about something like this. And so I actually decided, as you may remember, to produce Mm. a CD-ROM so that we could put onto it not just articles and things to do, but also add film clips and photographs and lots of examples. And so I think if it had been printed out, it would have been about, I don't know, how many thousand pages mm, or something. Mm. But by, by being able to go to which, whichever part you wanted on a CD-ROM, it was, it was more manageable. But, you know, the tragedy of that is you can't look at a CD-ROM anymore mm. because computers don't have the drive for it. And although I had lots of them left, in the end I had nothing to do with them but take them to the tip. Isn't that shocking? Yes, Um, I know that collective knowledge that was in there, you know, both the overview of all of those, you know, particularly all of those comprehension strategies. Yeah. And then, as you say, you know, the visuals, because we all love to be able to see what does that look like. What does it look like, exactly. Yes. And, you know, the interesting thing is that um, in many ways what, what's done in that sort of way rather than a printed book, it also becomes easier to change because what I find interesting is I had used a major resource 
from the International Reading Association, as it was then. It's now the International Literacy Association. And it was um, a book that they produce every uh, few years, and I think they're still doing it, yes. um, called What Does Research, um, or something like What Does Research Tell Us About How to Teach Reading? Yes. Um, and it covers everything from comprehension, phonics, um, vocabulary, fluency, a whole range of things, assessment, you name it, that's what they will cover and they'll review it and write about those same uh, areas uh, every few years. And so the people who were perhaps who were responsible for the major chapter on comprehension strategies in that book, Mm. um, Nell Duke and uh, David Pearson, uh, then... And David Pearson has always written a lot and kept himself, you know, thinking about and researching comprehension. Mm -hmm. So I kept following that. And it was interesting to see how they decided that the major comprehension strategies by their, um, I think it was their, their third edition, had changed quite a lot. Well, no, not a lot, but had changed a little from what they had said when I first um, embarked on developing those CD-ROMs. And and so it's worthwhile thinking about what those strategies are and why they might have changed and, um, you know, from that, they also talk about in the book the best ways of going about teaching it. So yes. it was a really good research book for me to start from. And that's where I think we always need to go back to um, mm. what does the valid, and I mean valid and reliable research, yes. say about this from the real scholars in this field? And how do we make use of that knowledge then as a teacher to put it into practice in our classrooms? So um, that's what I'm going to be, you know, using as the foundation for what we talk about today. Yes. Do I think the book is called Best Practice? Best no, practice, no, not best no, practices not. in literacy no. instruction. No, no, no. Uh-huh. That's a really good book too. But it's just simply what does research tell us about reading instruction? It's a very, right. very simple title like right. that. In fact, I was just about to look it up before we started speaking, but um, we would, can put that in the notes that go yes. with this anyway because yes. it's really worth following up. Um, yep, so... Yes, and it's good it's, for us to have... To, to know where the good places are to go looking yes, for information. Definitely, definitely. And we can be absolutely sure about um, the work. Oh, what research, here it is, what research tells yep. us about reading instruction. Yep, that's yes. it. Yes, there we go. And, uh, you know, chapters by uh, David Pearson, for example, if you look up his name, um, in your search uh, program, whatever you're using, mm. you'll find that the article is even available free online the, mm. talking about teaching comprehension. So it's terrific the way these things are easily accessible to us, but we need to know they exist yes. in order to yes. even find them. Yes, in but the, but in it's, a, it's a fabulous, fabulous um, chapter in the book that I would recommend every teacher reads regardless of what year level and even what subject because it's got so much information in it. It's fabulous. I can hear right now people downloading that and <laughs> and these are the kinds of things we want to bring to our, um, you know, our learning communities, to our staff meetings, you know, to our, you know, 
as well yep. as our own professional reading. But when we're in schools, to be able to share those kinds of uh, documents between us and have some common understandings about things, as well as exploring things that exist and don't exist yep. um, within our teaching, then they're, they're exactly the kinds of things we want to be pointed in the direction of. So yep, thank you, Diane. Okay. Actually, whilst um, we're whilst you're there talking about. Um, uh, particularly David Pearson's work around comprehension, you said that there's been and there has been a little bit of a um, some additions actually to yeah. what are considered to be the main comprehension strategies. So maybe I think that's something. I mean, people are always asking me that one. You know, like what yep. are what are the what are they? Yep. Yes, and you know, I think it is really important to know because I mean, it's very strange that the way of assessing comprehension across this. Australia at the moment is the NAPLAN test and yet it really just asks questions for the children to answer Mm. and yet if I really want to find out about a student's comprehension I need to listen to them read and then I need to find out if they're actually using these specific strategies because if they're not that's you know that's what I need to know if that's what's getting in the way of their comprehension. I've got to specifically know what it is that they don't know about so that I can help them improve. And look, I want to use just one quick example to show you what I mean. And this was um, a friend's daughter when she was in secondary school. Uh, When they went to parent-teacher interviews, they were told by every subject teacher that their daughter did not comprehend easily. She was having difficulty with that in every subject area. So I listened to her read and spoke to her about what she was reading to find out what was going on. So I was actually interested in asking uh, things like, uh, did she predict what was going to be uh, in the text both before she read it and while she was reading it? Um, what sort of inferences was she making? I was watching out for where she would need to make an inference in order to understand, and I would ask her about that. Um, I was uh, saying to her, do you have any questions in your head while you're reading this? And if so, what are they? Um, are you visualising what you're reading? Um, can you summarise and, and retell? They're two different things about what you've been reading and so on. So I actually am digging in to find out about which comprehension strategy she's using, not just can she answer the, a question on a, on a test. And then I would know where to help her. But I want to add to the picture because there are other things that influence what you understand and how much you understand what you read. And in this particular case, the girl was reading a novel about Vikings and it was the class novel, which often would happen in a secondary school English class. There would be the class novel. Now, when I asked uh, this girl what was she picturing while she was reading it, she really was very doubtful about what she was able to picture at all and we discovered that she absolutely knew nothing about Vikings. Mm. She did not know when they, you know, when the Vikings were around, what they did, what their normal lives were, where were they, uh, what did they dress like, what were they, you know, they were famous for, you know, (laughs) 
bit of rape and pillage perhaps. But, you know, so none of that background knowledge was there. So it was extraordinarily difficult for this girl to understand this novel. Mm -hmm. And it really brings up that it may well be that uh, she is actually able to use those strategies, but for this particular book, she can't Mm -hmm. because she doesn't have enough background knowledge about the topic. And the other thing I would ask her, the meaning of particular words in the book, anything that was to do with Vikings, she had no idea what the meaning of the word was. Mm. But I also discovered there were some very simple words like mound, as in, you know, a mound on on, on the ground, that she didn't know what mound meant. So by going deeper with that, I found out that her vocabulary uh, knowledge was really quite minimal. And I wondered about it because um, she's a bright girl, um, supposedly was reading a lot, but I think that that might have been a lot of pretend reading. Um, And and there was a lot of other things that were causing that to happen, Um, third child in a family, some things, et cetera. But so it wasn't until we found that out that I could actually talk with her parents about what we could do to build the girl's world knowledge, what we could do to, in the same way, build her vocabulary because they go together. And then we could start to look at was she able to use particular comprehension strategies, but I would find that out more by her reading something she actually knows about. And so that led to us knowing what to do and a lot more about even how to assess her comprehension. And then we knew what teaching to do. So it's, you know, these things are are multiple, aren't they? It's not just one thing, and you can't find it out just by asking some questions. No. In fact, I really like the shift there from, you know, because um, in finding out what students are understanding, we often sometimes... Like in that plan, we ask questions to find out what really information they have retained or, you know, can yeah. reference back to. But this is a different set of questions that you're asking. This it is, is about use of strategies, not about recall, not about mm-hmm. going back and finding information. This is about how they have already used strategies as they were reading to make sense. Exactly. And And if we don't know what those strategies are as teachers, we don't know what to be finding out about Mm. and we don't know what to teach. Exactly. So it's it's a really important basic information. And, and I mean, I can tell you now just a quick list of what they are because people could go back and listen again and write them down. Yes. And I think I should do that so we we know what we're talking about. Yes, I agree. Okay, so... This was what Pearson and other researchers identified as the main ones that we mostly use. Setting a purpose for reading, mm-hmm. pre- predicting using prior knowledge, thinking aloud, and this is interesting, to actually be thinking aloud about what you're doing as a reader yes. is a- actually a-, a strategy to use to help your understanding. Inferring. Now, that comes up all the time that teachers say their kids don't know how to do that, and I'm going to talk more about that today. Using text structure and features. Questioning. 
So this is the, the reader asking questions of themselves or of the text while they're reading. It's not someone asking questions before or after the reader. It's reading. It's what the reader does. Uh, monitoring, monitoring your own understanding, clarifying where you think you're losing meaning and fixing up, using some sort of strategy to fix up your misunderstandings or, you know, realising that you need to uh, do something else than what you're doing because what you're doing is not working. Visualising and forming visual representations. So what I mean by visual representation, I could describe for you um, how a chicken lays an egg, right? But I could also, or how a butterfly comes out of um, I mean, a butterfly, of course, comes out of a pupa, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, I could describe that in words, or I could draw a diagram. So that would be a visual representation of that text, and it would show my understanding of that because I can do a diagram of it. And also summarising and retelling, and they are slightly different things. So they're the main ones. It's no particular order. It's not hierarchical. Um, we, and we don't necessarily use all of them with everything we read but we do do different things, I've discovered, even at different parts of a text. And um, if, as soon as you start that metacognition, that thinking about what you're doing while you're doing it and how you're doing it, you start to notice what you are doing as a reader and it can help you to understand what the kids need to know about. Yes. So, for example, I've been noticing as a reader that when I start to read something... I do a lot more questioning because I'm trying, if it's a story, I'm trying to find out who's in it, what's happening, where's it taking place, um, who is this person that's mentioned, you know. So I have a lot of questions as I try to figure out what's this going to be about. But my, and I'll start to make predictions as I go further into the text and I get a bit more knowledge to make those predictions. Or I might even go back and reread the back cover blurb if there is one and then start to make some predictions. But I don't necessarily do that before I even start to read any of the text. So you can, but you know, as you know more, you will make more informed predictions. So I'm noticing all the time now as a reader, um, if I can't get pictures in my head of what I'm reading, why not? Yeah. Is it because I don't know enough about this and therefore I'm going to have trouble understanding it? And therefore that, you know, and if I'm thinking of, of younger students learning to read, perhaps this isn't a good book for me to be reading because I don't really know anything about the content, so I'm not going to be able to use very many good comprehension strategies and I won't be able to work out the words very easily either. So content knowledge is important. Um, and we, and, and I'm, I'm aware that if this is something really new to me, that there are perhaps things I need to do before I go on with my reading. So that awareness then, and I think that the type of questioning we do in a conference with a student is to try to find out what are they doing as a reader? Can they articulate that? Or is it just that they're not even aware that these things are going on in their head? Mm. That, that's such a big 
um, distinction right there, isn't it, Di, around when we have children engaging with text and, you know, they'll often be thinking about, you know, can they, you know, they might choose a text by, okay, how how many words have I come across that I don't, you know, that I can't read or, you know, that I don't understand. Yes. But in fact, it's, it's actually teaching them to be far more aware of of the comprehension, like what are they doing, what's the thinking they're doing to get meaning from this text mm-hmm, that is exactly. going to make a book more, you know, whether this is right for me at the moment yep. or not. And yep. and so I think that's a layer of questions that we haven't necessarily overlaid yet yep. on children thinking about, um, you know, how they're, how they are managing as a reader what they're actually doing as a reader have we narrowed it a bit too much about well you're successful as a reader if you know you're decoding all the words and you're um, reading at this rate and but what is the thinking that you are doing because that's what reading is isn't it it is definitely thinking that you are doing to understand what this text is what the what this text is about exactly now if you go back to think about what you spoke about a couple of sessions ago about thinking about reading and you talked um about the work of um aiden chambers for example and i too was very influenced by his books book talk and tell me and he was really on on the ball there when he was talking about uh tell me what you're thinking Mm. All right. Now, the interesting thing is that can have many sides to it and it could be thinking about the content, um, thinking about perhaps something it reminded you of or, you know, there's a million possibilities when you just have such an open-ended question. But some of the thinking can be that metacognition about what I was doing as a reader. Yes. And so we need to open that door as well. Mm. But, you know, they won't know that that's what readers do unless we actually demonstrate it. <laughs> and, and this gets down to how do you actually teach these strategies? Yet again, those conditions for learning that Brian Camborn talked about or um, Duke and Pearson referred to it as the gradual release of responsibility. Yes. We need to demonstrate because it's what's going on in our heads when we read that we can't show by, you know, well, we have to just let them know what's, what, what's going on in my mind. I have to share that with them and let them know this is what I'm doing when I read this text. Um, and you could also be doing those sorts of things when you are reading. And so um, I've done loads of those demonstrations with kids and I don't even do any preparation for it purposely because I just want to pick up the book or whatever text it is Mm. and start reading to the kids and whatever is coming into my mind that I'm aware of doing, I tell them this is what this text made me do, made me think about as a reader. So on the one hand... I think if it's a story, I'm thinking about the story and the characters and the plot, um, where it's taking place, etc. But isn't that interesting? That's actually 
part of visualising. Mm. Who's in it? What do they look like? Where are they? When? Yes. And what's happening? It's the film of, in this case, a story. And it is. it, it happens by you visualising this movie as you're reading the words. Now, if I don't let them know this is what this text is doing to me, making me visualise and I'm thinking blah, 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 because the author said blah, blah, then they won't know that that's one of the types of thinking they could be doing. So I need to be demonstrating that with each of the major strategies. Um, you know, it's there are other things, of course, I demonstrate about reading, how I work out words and what do I do when I come to unknown words and all sorts of things. But these strategies are something that I need to demonstrate right from, from the time kids start to learn to read. And it's very interesting to me how much inferring very beginning readers need to do when they're reading very simple texts because there's not very much written. They have to infer a lot. And, you know, some people are really um, saying, oh, kids shouldn't be looking at the pictures. But, you know, in a lot of those books for beginning readers, no matter what kind they are, if you don't also look at the pictures, and I mean also, you don't actually know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And because there isn't enough text, even who's speaking, for example, um, you know, let's I think off the top of my head I can think of something like, are you my mother? Um, you know, very, very simple book. But who's asking that question mm. through through the book? Because if you don't, and it doesn't say said the such and such, but you have to figure it out from the pictures who's actually saying uh, what for, in order for you to understand. And it's, it's just amazing to me that someone would say, you shouldn't be letting them look at the pictures. That makes them guess. There's no such thing as guessing in reading. You can uh, use evidence to infer or to predict, but nothing about it should be a guess. There has to be evidence for all of the things that you're thinking, whether it's how to pronounce that word or whether it's this is what's happening or... Um, this is the message the author really has. Um, even something like, uh, I've got a book in front of me, Tarantulas are Spiders. So each page it tells us something about tarantulas. And on the last page, there's a picture of a spider on a plate with a knife and fork beside it. So we can see it's actually the size of a dinner plate, right? Mm. And the text says tarantulas are the biggest spiders in the world. How big? As As big big as as. (laughs) a dinner plate. Yeah. And how do we know that? Because we are inferring from the picture that this spider is as big as a dinner plate. So even though that text is not specifically there, we are able to use the picture as evidence to be able to infer that's how big a tarantula can be. Now, that's a book that very young children are reading. So I need to demonstrate all the time with fiction and non-fiction what I'm thinking in my head that's helping me to understand what's going on in that text. 
And and just coming back to that idea of, you know, that we do need to be reading, you know, we're reading, we're getting information from the text, but we're getting information from everything that's on the page. Yep. And and Nikki Clawson Grace and Michelle Kelly, who've written um they've written two books that uh, one comprehension shouldn't be silent. Right. That which, sounds good. Which is there's, you know, that underutilized strategy of, you know, talk and discussion in developing yes, comprehension. Right. Yes. Um but they've also written a book called Reading the Whole Page. Right. And whilst it um, looks a lot at informational text, it's bringing this same thing to bear that we aren't just reading the words on a page, we're reading the whole page. Exactly. And so that idea of, you know, if we're reading, you know, a fiction text and we say we want students to concentrate on the text that's on the page, yes, we do, but for that text is also there embedded within illustration and with other things, with titles, with headings, with... A, exactly. With all of these things. We need to be reading all of that. So we can't we can't just focus on one thing and leave all the other bits out. Otherwise, no. we can't get to the inferring. We can't get to the um, predicting or connecting or... There's a whole lot of things we can't... It's- Exactly, Do. definitely. So, so I like that you made that, that point. So, Di, I am going to bring you just back to um, – you've got a little sort of bit of a brief description of teaching comprehension Yeah. Um, that maybe if we could go through sort of those steps. You've already really talked, in, you know, wonderfully about – and I think this is a big um, – connection for people to make is that when we are teaching comprehension strategies and when we are letting readers into what a good reader is doing, the thinking that they are doing as they are reading, which is what you do when you're modelling, uh-huh. but you're doing that with text. You're not doing it with <laughs> A worksheet. You're not doing no that way. with a um, with a something pulled out of nowhere. You are intentional about using text that that you are able to demonstrate to the reader what you are doing as you are thinking and as the thinking you're doing as you are reading, so that they can already be starting to. Um, to understand, oh, this is what I do as I'm reading. So when it's separated out, you know, when it's separated out into us, lots of teachers say, you know, I I, I found a piece of text and we worked with it and and we practised with that, but they're not applying it to their own reading. Yeah. So so can you just take us through, um, you know, like the steps that you've outlined here that I think are really important to talk to so that we can really know what the effective teaching of comprehension can look like. Yep, for sure. Now, I want to start by saying that there's a lot of discussion about whether you should teach one of those strategies at a time Mm -hmm. or whether you should teach them all together. And, you know, so what I find is that it isn't one or the other. 
Um, but I know that from all of my years of teaching that if I want to introduce something to kids and do it thoroughly, that we might focus on that for a short time, but as quickly as possible integrate it with whatever else is going on at the same time so that I might decide that I want to really focus for a little bit on visualising because, you know, I do ask some kids the question, what were you visualising, what were you picturing when you were reading that? Huh? You mean I'm supposed to be picturing something? (laughs) And I'm serious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no wonder the poor things are not understanding what they're reading. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I will focus a little bit on that, that strategy to teach and but I don't ignore what else might be happening at the same time and so for example if I'm want to teach the kids something about um let's say well I'll stick with visualizing yeah. um when I'm visualizing something then it's more than just what's on the page that's helping me to visualise, but it's also my own knowledge. So making use of my world knowledge as well as what the author is saying enables me to have some sort of picture in my head of what's going on or what people look like. But I will also need to infer some things that the author is saying in order for me to get that picture. So I might need to talk about all of those things together, but we are specifically working on improving our visualising. So I'll come back to I'll come back now to the whole process, but I just want to want to keep that in mind. Yeah, that's a good point because it's um, it's allowing us to be intentional about going deeper with some of you know with specific strategies that we may that we found our students aren't bringing to their yep. own reading. So we've exactly. so through our knowledge of what our students are doing and aren't doing, we're bringing we that would be how we decide. Hmm, I'm going mm-hmm. to do some specific work on that, but not to the exclusion of other things. Exactly. But we can go deeper with one whilst showing how we integrate it with others. Definitely. And that's all going to be because I'm going to be always very explicit in my description of the strategy Mm. and when and how it should be used and what's going on in my head uh, and what's causing me to actually be doing that so that so enough information for them to realise what I'm actually doing. But I will start by saying... And this is the link with their own reading. I've noticed when I've been conferring with some of you during independent reading time, and, of course, you've got to have large slabs of that time, otherwise you won't find out anything about your students, let alone giving them time to practice. Um, So I've noticed when I've been conferring with some of you that you are not sure about whether you should be getting pictures in your head while you're reading or, if so, how do you do that? Why do you do that? And so I want us to focus on that for a little while until you feel really comfortable with that in your own reading. So, you see, I'm not just, you know, I woke up today and decided I'm going to teach you visualising, but I can see this is something you need to do more of. I might even say I've noticed that Sharon does this really well and I'd like her at the end of our reading, independent reading time today 
to sh- for her to share how she's been visualising. So it doesn't just have to be me. Um, so then I will actually, <clears throat> and I don't need any program, and I just need the books in my classroom that the students are reading and I will purposely make sure, of course, that I've got a very rich classroom library because I want to demonstrate this strategy using different kinds of non-fiction and fiction text. So, and, and I also know, by the way, that if I want to demonstrate visualising, that some authors are really good at helping us visualise. Um, you know, they're very descriptive Um, I'll also find some poetry is very descriptive. So because I'm focusing on this strategy, I try to specifically find texts that will enable them to have a go at that without it being a struggle. So I might even have a box of books or other texts. might be articles from a newspaper. It might be uh, something that we, you know, we might listen to um, a, a podcast or something and we will uh, use whatever we've got to apply uh, the demonstration of this strategy. Yeah. Okay. I'm also thinking if I want them to visualise, there is no point in me reading something to them or them reading something that they know nothing about, e.g. the girl with the Vikings. Yes. So I'm looking for material that's within their experiences. Um, sometimes that might mean, by the way, that I will do this in a small group session to make sure that this group of kids really, uh, it's something they know a lot about. Um, so I'm going to model it um, and I'm also going to get them to start doing some with me so that if I read the next bit, I want you to also be thinking about what are you visualising during this time. I may even get them to do a sketch of it. And, in fact, I think it was Jerry Hast who came up with this little activity, Sketch to Stretch. Yes, um, yes. Right? Yeah. So you each sketch what you were, were picturing and then you can talk in pairs or small groups because we may all be getting a slightly different picture influenced by our knowledge of, of what's in the text. Yeah. Um, but if it's, you know, completely out of kilter with what the, the meaning of the text is, then we know something's not working right there. Yes. But I will also make sure that I will, and, and I'll either make make a, you know, a copy on from my electric um, whiteboard of this text. So I can actually point at the parts of the text where the author is giving me the clues about what I what the visualising is going to be. Um, or where I might need even need to infer um, the author's not actually saying this man is old, but because of the description of how he walks and talks, then I infer this man is old. So I'm going to get a different picture in my head than if I thought he was young. So I need to show the evidence in the text that's influencing my thinking. Um, And then as we work on these things together, I'm saying to the kids, and in your reading today, I want you to be thinking about what you're visualising and to notice which part of the text is helping you to do that. At the end of our session, some of you can share what you have done. Now, I can't just do I just want to finish what I'm thinking, Sharon. Sorry. I I, I can't just do this with one text either because... 
in their own independent reading, they might all be reading different kinds of things. So I need to continue to do this with different texts over a few days, and fiction and non-fiction, so we can sort of get an idea of uh, how even the text structure and type might be influencing what I'm thinking and the purpose for reading the text, of course. Um, then I'm there, I want them to be using it by themselves and during that conferring time again, if I find some students are not very good at using that strategy yet, then I will form a small group and we will work on that more. And really, it, and it's interesting, if I was a primary school teacher, I've got those kids every day. I'm not going to have a different group tomorrow and then a different group on the third day and then a different group on the fourth day. To me, it makes more sense to say, I'm working with this group today on helping them visualise. So tomorrow I'm going to work with them again and see how they're going, do a bit more teaching, see what they're doing in their own independent reading, and if necessary, a third day and perhaps a fourth day until I feel like they really have got it. Now, I'm not saying that's going to go on forever. If it did, I don't think I'd be doing a very good job. <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, why do I need to move on to somebody else if we haven't really thoroughly worked with this group yet? In the long run, they're all going to get the same amount of time and attention, but it seems more sensible to me to really uh, get something thoroughly done rather than, you know, then they have to wait four days for me to see them again. That might throw some people's thinking, you know, really out of whack. But we have to stand back and think about what makes sense. Yeah. Ultimately, that group does not exist anymore, right, because we've worked on what they needed, now off you go, and this is now part of your independent practice. So yeah. why are you still in, in my group? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's... Um, we connect that back to when you talked about that as you're using the strategy, as you're doing the think aloud, that you're actually giving all the students at that point the opportunity to practice it with you. Yep. And that practicing with you actually kind of lets us, you know, if they're doing that practice then, that's what we're checking in on, <laughs> you know, yep. how they're going with that. And it's just going to be those few who might not be there, but the rest we can go, they've already had a practice with us and we don't have to do that in a one-on-one -on -one conference or a small group time with them again. If they've got that and they're ready to go practice it, they're ready to go practice it. Exactly. Let's exactly. give them the time to use it now exactly. rather than pulling them back you know, at different times saying, okay, yeah. well, it's your turn today, let's go through this to only find that, okay, we're all good with that. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think time and the timing of these things um, are where the headset needs to shift sometimes, you know. That Definitely. That that, that time, that modelling time and that time to practice with the teacher is just a small amount of time compared to how much time they've got to to use that. Exactly. To use and that's why themselves. I'd rather, you know, do a small amount, now let's get on with you having a yes. go at it, but I'm going to deal with it again tomorrow and the day yes. after and the day after. Yes. So um, because sometimes I'll notice that 
for an entire shared reading session. The children have not ever read the book or for an entire, um, you know, time when the teacher's trying to teach the kids something that mm. the kids then never actually get a chance to practice it. So yes. we've got to, to just think very sensibly about this. Yes, yes. But, can I just give you one example of what I might do with the kids to let them know what, what's going on in my head? This book's called The Land of Never Endings and it's by Kate Saunders, who is a fabulous, reasonably new writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I give her books to all of my uh, God kids' kids yes. who are uh, about 10 years old onwards. So... The first chapter is called The Book of Bluey. The Book of Bluey. I'm wondering already, my question is, I wonder who Bluey is and what's the book? Mm. So it starts, when Holly died, well, who's Holly? Goodness, this is sad. Um, This is what's going on in my head at the moment. I'm asking a question. I'm trying to think about who Holly might be. And obviously, if she died, this is a very sad occasion. Where is it? When Holly died, Bluey suddenly fell silent and all the lights went out in Smockaroon. My question's already in just the first sentence. Who's Holly? Who's Bluey? What or where is Smockaroon? And what does it mean that Bluey fell silent and all the lights went out? Mm. I have nothing but questions at this stage. And it's because the author has thrown me right into the story and I'm trying to figure out who's going to be in it, where's it taking place, when did it take place, what's what's going on. Mm. Next sentence. Holly's bedroom was an empty cave that Emily was scared to walk past at night. Who's Emily? Emily. What's the relationship with Emily and Holly? So they must have lived in the same house. There's a clue from the author. Holly's bedroom was an empty cave that Emily was scared to walk past at night. So I can infer that they lived in the same house before Holly died. But I'm wondering why she was scared to walk past it at night. Men came to rip out the special lift for her chair. I'm inferring that her is Molly. We make inferences in lots of ways when we read. Her chair, whose chair? If I read back, it's Holly's. So men came to rip out the special lift for her chair, the huge hoist over the bath and all the other things Holly didn't need anymore. I'm starting to infer that Holly was disabled in some way because the author is telling me she needed a special lift for her chair and a huge hoist over the bath and many other things, but now that she's no longer alive, she doesn't need them anymore. Emily had grown up saying, my sister is disabled. Uh Aha, my prediction, my inference is the evidence there that confirms what I was thinking. 
my sister is disabled. And now she had got used to saying, my sister is dead. So now I know about the relationship between Emily and Holly because she calls Holly her sister. So I'm gathering information as I'm reading. I'm starting to get some pictures in my mind about who these two girls might be. I yet don't even know how old they are. Um, a lot of things I'm still trying to get some information to have a picture, but at least I've got this blur of two girls, one of them being disabled. Mm. All right, so that might be where I finish today and I might mm. point out that when I'm reading, I ask myself a lot of questions mm. and I want, and I, I would have said that at the beginning too, that we're learning more about questioning so listen for the questions, the types of questions I'm asking when I read this to you and I share with you about what's going on in my head. Why do I ask these sorts of questions when I'm reading fiction? See, there are many kids who really don't know the main elements of fiction. So they don't know what they're watching out for, that it's characters, plot, setting, mm right? Yes. And so they're the questions I need to ask when I'm starting to read fiction because they're the basic elements of a story that will help me understand what it's about. So you see how much information I'm sharing that they could apply to any fiction piece that they are reading. I would do exactly the same thing if it was a picture book or an eight-page book that a very beginning reader is using. And I, because all of those strategies, they all need to use, no matter what the age um, and no matter what the complexity of the text is. So it's my demonstration being very explicit yeah. about what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, how the author is helping me, what I know about texts and how they work, etc. And leading straight into, as we said then, that opportunity to apply and to use and to reflect on how they've used it. Exactly. So now we're into independent reading time. Yes. And I'm going to continue to teach that strategy through a lot of demonstration. Uh, knowing what kids are like, they will want me to go on reading that book. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's, yes, I mean, and that's a good very... question, actually. People will often say, we've used that for the demonstration, but when when do we do more reading with that? Yes, well, and I don't need to do it, go to another book, do I? No. I certainly need to be doing it with, with other kinds of texts. Yes. And guess what? Um, in our science work this afternoon, yeah. I might do the same sort of thing with a, a non-fiction book that we're, we're using to help us with some investigation we're doing. Yeah. So it's all during the day. I'm aware and they're aware that we're learning a lot more about how to ask questions when we read, yeah. how the text might influence the type of questions we ask, yes. um, what we do with that, etc. Yes. Now... So would we say that there are, would we say all comprehension strategies, we can definitely say all comprehension strategies can be brought to children of any age? Not only can they, they must they be. They must be. 
Yes. And then would do we say that there that we would use all comprehension strategies across all types of texts? Absolutely. Otherwise, how will we expect them to apply it to all kinds of texts? Yeah. And, you know, we know that we want their independent reading to be from a variety of texts. And if it's not, we guide it to be that way, don't we? Um, We know that it it, it has to happen with our read aloud and our shared reading and our independent reading. Otherwise, by the way, they won't know how to write. Yes, well, that's, that's exactly right. So the whole yeah. time I'm sitting here thinking, this is all the, this is reading like a writer. This exactly. Is, yes. Because we're also thinking about how did the author do yeah. this to make me think this way? Yes. Um, so when I'm writing, do I always have to just describe someone, or are there other ways I can give the same clues to the reader in a more interesting way? Yes. Um, and yeah. we can highlight that and go back to it in our writing. Can't we? Yes. So yes, and so we can make those connections, you yeah. know, without them being. I think that's the big connection for um, the comprehension piece. Is that, what did the writer do here to help us um, yep. understand this, or um, or um, get us into the information, or put us right in the middle of the action, or make us wonder so much, or exactly, yeah. So they're yeah. very parallel processes going on, you know, the, yeah. the thinking about um, what we're reading as well as thinking about how that was achieved by the writer. Definitely. Yeah. And that, you know, just keep reinforcing um, how could you use this strategy in your own reading? How could this help you with anything you are reading? Yes. Don't I- forget. Don't forget to think about the pictures, visualising when you're reading. Mm. You know, I mean, I can keep referring to what they're doing as a reader so they understand this is something for them, not just for me. Yes. Yeah. Well, it has. that's right because we want them to be active. <laughs> we want them to be active in this process, not just seeing it modelled but... That question that you ask is my favourite of all times. Is how can I use this with anything that I read? Exactly, exactly. That, yeah. That's the that's the gold, you know, standard question there. That it is, is definitely yes, yeah, because that absolutely gets us into knowing that that's what we're thinking about all the time. Any time I'm reading, what what can I? What have I? What have I been working on? What have I been? Um, what have we been trying, thinking about that I can bring to this, and that this is that piece that I've got so much to bring. I think really being explicit about the comprehension strategies just opens up a whole lot of new doors for readers because it's yeah. all of the thinking doors. <laughs> it is definitely yes, yeah, and you know. I want to make a specific point about inferring because so many teachers ask me about it and um, I find that if I don't let them know what's going on in my head and demonstrate how I inferred and what information was in the text and what information did I bring to it and how I brought them together, Mm. then they will never know how to infer. Yes. And, And there are so many opportunities for that even when I was reading that, just inferring who is saying something or, you know, inferring where this might be taking place. Or in, I mean, there were so many things I was trying to work out 
by making inferences in just that very short piece of text. But I discovered that there was nothing very much written about all kinds of inferring. Um, you know, even the inferring that the text says she, who is she, I have to look back and work out, was that going to be Holly or Emily? Yeah. And how do I do that? And this is so important for children whose first language is not English because their own first language might have a different structure where that's not necessary to go back and find out because it's the, it's the um, uh, uh, what's the words I'm looking for, sort of like the suffixes in the words that will help you to know whether it was a male or a female or who it was yes. or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, but I must demonstrate even the inferences like that. Mm. So I actually made a list of the type of inferences we make when we read fiction and when we read non-fiction so that, again, it helps oh. us to know as a teacher what are the, the kinds of inferences that I need to teach my kids about. I can't just say I want to teach them to infer. There's lots of kinds of inferring and it varies from fiction to non-fiction texts. Some of them are the same but not all. So if I don't have that list... I probably won't know to do it. I'll just be thinking, oh, they can't infer. Why? <laughs> right. All right. I, so... I've got to be very explicit in all of the kinds of inferring and what's helping me do it. Right. You know, Di, everyone's going, where's the list? Where's the list? Well, so... we'll include it in the, <laughs> in the notes. Yes, right. because... I've, I've got such a list. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is... These are, you know, the thinking that you have you know the thinking and the synthesizing that you've been doing around comprehension for us really brings it to us as accessible um some accessible tools actually you know for us to learn some quite specific things to be more explicit about the teaching yep. of comprehension so definitely yeah so that i know there'll be plenty of people absolutely going oh because that you know the inferring you know we often hear ourselves saying well what do we do to infer we well you just uh -huh. infer or you yeah you know the common yeah. one you read between the lines or what oh, does that yes. mean and exactly yeah so really being able to be explicit that's the key word here yeah and for us to teach explicitly means for us to deeply know what we are doing and to be able to explain what we are doing as yep. the thinking that we are doing as we are reading. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Once you start thinking this way, mm. when you're reading, you'll start to notice more about mm. where you are inferring and on what a range of things, uh, range of ways that you're inferring. Very, very different in different parts of texts. And I just love it. It's sort of like that metacognition is really, I don't, it's exciting, you know, yes. to discover, oh, I'm doing that. And kids are the same. And we look, I don't want that to become something that takes over their reading time. I came across a teacher recently who has the kids write so much during reading time that they're not really getting enough time to read. Mm. So reading time is reading time. Yes. But it doesn't mean you can't notice something and perhaps just quickly stick a book back 
Um, one teacher told me they had too many post-its in their books. All right, yes. just one. All right, yeah. one or two is the maximum. Yes. And then you can share it after. Yeah. Um, but don't stop reading. No. Right? no. Don't write. Go, don't go and don't write, write that it. in your no. journal. No. Right? Because no. that's that's a waste of time. Yeah. And um, actually, that's a really good point because that's not what we're modelling. We're not modelling no. that we write all of this down. No. <laughs> as we are, because it's about using it to affect not using it to demonstrate to somebody that I've done it. That's <laughs> you know, right. the demonstration yeah. of us using it means the the understanding that we're gaining from text. Exactly. So, yeah. So In fact, we have to be very careful about modelling um, because you made me realise that sometimes um, we will write things on a chart, like oh. what what will we predict, and it all gets written down, and then we go back and compare our predictions. Mm-hmm. And I always think, why are we why is that being written down? That's such a waste of time. That's not what a reader does. No. That, all right. Mm. Um, so don't model that because no. you don't want the kids to write it down. You just That's want them to be thinking about what are they predicting, and keep that in their heads. Now, as we go on, and the kids will say, oh, we thought such and such, but now look at that. It doesn't need to be written down. We don't need to refer back to something written. It takes up time. Yes. In the meantime, the kid who's not very good at paying attention is off with the fairies. Yes. Right? Yes. So, and and uh, still isn't reading. Yes, and yeah. still isn't reading. Exactly. It's yes. taking time away yes. from the reading. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Vic, do I have just one minute? You, yes, you, you do. think about yeah. something else then. Um, uh, yeah, for example, um, I have one child who I'm helping who's in grade three and he's been identified as one of the kids who, because of COVID, is behind where he should be because of the lockdowns. And so he's got being taken out of class uh, to work with somebody else. Now, you know, we can have a whole session on yes. the worth, worthiness or yeah. not of that. Mm. Um, and guess what? He's having trouble comprehending so what happens when you go off with that teacher? Well, we get something to read and some questions to answer. Yeah. Where's the teaching in that? Yeah. There is none. That mm. you know, that is not teaching comprehension. That's actually some kind of assessment, I guess. It's not even a very good assessment because we're still not finding out what strategies he's using, using or not. That's right. Mm-hmm. Or is it the vocabulary or is it the content, you know, or uh, is it is it really quite difficult to read and therefore the reading isn't fluent? Because fluency affects comprehension too. If you read something like a robot without expression and phrasing, A, you're probably not understanding it very well because that's how you're reading, and B, it will actually affect what you understand. It's a very reciprocal thing. Mm. So it's why we want kids to reread. And, you know, sometimes kids say, oh, why are we reading this again? Because now we know enough about it. We need to work on our expression and our phrasing um, to go back and think about what's the author telling us through the punctuation or bold letters or whatever, uh, because that will help us to understand better what we're reading. The more we understand it, the more we enjoy it. Mm. And that's the ultimate goal, that we will enjoy what we're reading. Yes, yeah. Now, I've just got one little thing I've been – I keep forgetting, but it has come up – a few times where I was going to mention it, that that idea of um, 
not always necessarily having to find a particular text to work with. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. that, that uh, the yeah. rereading of things, especially big books, and, um, oh. you know, to be going back to um, things we already know so that we can go deeper into our thinking about things, but also for our older students that when we've got class read-alouds on the go, when we've got wonderful mm. um, chapter books that we're reading over time, we also need to be using those to really model how we do the thinking across chapter books and over longer texts because yep. some of our readers aren't getting that as a um, as something that they're being modelled. It's always we're just doing it with a little piece of text here and a little piece of text there and we're not really learning how do we, you know, build our understanding across yep. whole and, chapters and you're, of and, and stories. You're, and you're right. It, it affects, you know, um, the whole the whole book, not just a little bit of it. Um, what how we're gathering information on the way that might change our understandings, um, add to them, etc. And it all needs to to go together and make sense. Uh, what we need to be careful of is that, well, two things. One, don't just keep introducing new texts. Mm. all the time because you do want to get that in depth across something longer, that capacity building. Yes. And then there will be times when you purposely want to do it with a short text. Yes. Right? And, in fact, I often think younger children write short stories. They actually don't write novels. No. And and we should, when we want them to know a lot more about writing, Mm. we should read short stories to them. But it's not one or the other. No. It's both. Yeah. And it might be even at different times, but my plan for the year uh, is where I make sure that I do all of the kinds of things I need to do. But also... um, Sometimes I will read to the kids and I'll say, this is such a beautiful piece of writing. We're not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to read it to you and you're going to enjoy it, right? So that we don't want everything we read to be used for teaching. Teaching, no, no. (laughs) So here's that balance too. During the day there's going to be something that I will just read, whether it's a part of a story, whether it's a poem, um, it, it might be something from a newspaper. We're just going to read it yes. and that's it. Yeah. But then I'm also going to have times when I purposely choose something that I know will be really good for my teaching. Yes. And that's another little piece of, the, of the, 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 the puzzle. If I've got this group of kids and I've just been teaching you how to visualise better, mm. I would then like you to be reading material that will help you visualise easily so that you can really work at that. Mm. So I will say to my class, these kids are trying to get better at visualising. Have any of you read something that you thought was really good for visualising, that it made you visualise very easily? Or could you be on the watch out for anything like that? And we'll put them in this box here and we'll label it good for visualising so that if somebody is trying to work at that strategy, Mm. they'll know that they can come to these resources. See, this is another kind of just write book. Yes. Okay? So I should be, you know, 
if I pick up any book I'm reading, there will be all the strategies I'll be able to demonstrate. I don't have to worry about that. Mm. But if I want the kids to practice something, then I'm probably better if they actually have the right sort of text to practice with. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. And, oh, I really know, like that, that it's... It's it's even things like if I'm reading non-fiction and the text says uh, rabbits eat lots of things, and then in the diagram it's got a carrot and that's labelled, yeah. a lettuce and that's labelled, yeah. celery and that's labelled, yeah. then I'm inferring that rabbits eat all of those rabbit carrots mm. lettuce and celery yeah the author didn't say that but why else would those three things be illustrated and labeled mm. that's how inferring can happen sometimes in non-fiction now if i've noticed some kids reading non-fiction and they don't look at the diagrams and labels at all they just read the main body of the text so they're not actually getting all of the information and understanding. And I might need to demonstrate that to them. I'll demonstrate to the class, but now I've got a group that I want to demonstrate that with. But now I want to give them a few more non-fiction books just like that Mm. so they can actually work at doing that to improve their reading. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And I really like that idea of involving the class in that too, the other readers, saying where, where have we found this in you know where we can use that in another book so that their you know that's them drawing on their experiences and knowledge of um you know that strategy or those things that we're doing and bringing that to the community (laughs) bringing that to the so if a box of books is made with that as a strategy um or examples of those things that's really empowering that's going to get everybody (laughs) taking yeah. notice about and, and those really, things and yeah. yeah and helping each other yes yes knowing a lot about each other's reading not just yeah. what topics you like to read about but what mm. you're working at mm. and how I could help you to do yeah. that yeah you know I haven't even mentioned the importance of vocabulary and how that influences comprehension <laughs> yeah well but but it's sure. essential isn't it is it? absolutely <laughs> essential <laughs> yeah. um and it doesn't make it onto the list of um comprehension strategies well it's not a strategy no it's what influences the understanding of what you're reading um that it's yeah it's interesting do you know mem fox is a particular cow oh yes yes isn't that fabulous yes yeah and she uses particular (laughs) i think nearly on every page and by the end of it kids will really know what particular means it's it's written for beginning beginning readers preschool kids even yes and i thought you know um uh, pamela allen uses the same word in who sank the boat yes and so, you know, for no particular reason, he decided to go for a row in the bay. Mm-hmm. And kids pick up on those words yes. uh, because they're so interesting, I think. But I love the way Mem has actually taught the kids the meaning of particular because it gets used in so many ways. Yes. And, you know, I tried to work out how would I explain the meaning of particular to a five-year-old? Mm-hmm. Mm. It's hard. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but through all of those examples, they would get to have a good – we would be able to have a good discussion yes. about what it means. And, and I, Sorry, I just no. used that as an example that right from the beginning, 
the richer the vocabulary in what the children read, the more chance they have of their vocabulary increasing and developing. And is that essential to be understanding what you're reading? My goodness. Yes. So important. and, And to use it. Yep. In our own speaking and in our writing. Exactly. Yes. And I mean, I'm going to try and use that word during the day after I've read that book to the kids and I'm going to encourage them to, aren't I? Yes, yes. Right. And yeah. they, they become critical words, don't they, in, Very. in our lives because they have particular We've had a particular experience with those words. So exactly. Yes, or particular yeah. experiences. Um, mem foxes, uh, this and that. Yep. There's another one, just that, like those phrases. Exactly. I love, like it's not just vocabulary isn't just about singular words. But, no you know, way. The phrases, the yep. idioms, the all of yep. these aspects of language, it is all exciting. It is Very. all so interesting. And that's that's what all of this is about for our students is, you know, the richness and the joy that comes from engaging with texts in such meaningful and powerful ways. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, they want to read that book many times because mm. it's such an interesting book to read. And I tell you what, you don't know what it's about unless you're looking at the pictures. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, and there's so many nuances in it. There's so much to infer in it. It's you could read it a million times and find more more yes. in it. Yeah. But you know, it's it also gives us a very special message for, um, and I think particularly when kids are in about year three and four, um, and perhaps a little earlier, they love to find series uh, that, that you know by one author that they love to read. And yes, that's really important. And especially if kids find an author they like. To get hooked into those books is fantastic. But the teacher also needs to be aware that that might be very limiting in the vocabulary development. So it's our job to also find them other books they'll like, and particularly by authors who have rich vocabulary in whatever they write. You know, authors like Kate DiCamillo. Yes. You know, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, my fa- oh, one of my favourites. <laughs> exactly. I can't get yeah, of... it's true. Yes. But, you know, if you go back to all your favourites, they all write rich stuff. Yes. Um, yes. So it's, and, uh, all of these things work together, don't yeah. they? Um, yeah. And, and I think in just what you're saying there is um, I'm just going to bring this you know, no matter what time people are listening to this um, podcast, but it is new at the moment. But um, the English curriculum, so ACARA is the Australian mm-hmm. curriculum, the new version, yes, has just um, landed a couple of weeks ago yeah. before this podcast. And I just want to point out um, to people, I'm hoping people really go in for a good read of it because there are some really strong reminders for us of the things that we've been talking about today about the importance of this variety of texts that students are engaging with and they're quite in the level description for each year level the range of texts that students are reading and the features of those texts are to be rich and are to be 
um, enjoyable and are to be solid for those students. So there's that wonderful connection about the types of texts, including they talk about that there's features of texts that can be used by students of models as models for creating their own Exactly. Work. Yeah. So yeah. there's that wonderful connection, and of course, the whole language literature literacy connection, the three strands across the Australian curriculum. We've been we've been hanging around each of those strands today. The importance of literature that in language, that text structure and organisation, that's a really critical part there. And that language that's in those texts that's, that we can use for expressing ideas and that the comprehension and I'm really enjoying that in the analysing, interpreting and evaluating section of the Australian curriculum that one of the first things is thinking about audience and purpose of texts. Mm. And that then yeah. there we've got those processes but we're not just being... Um, these things just happening to us, everything is about being very active. And I love that the section on comprehension starts with use comprehension strategies. And I think oh. that's the big, the big piece for us to connect to today is that that's what, and that's why teachers, I think, keep asking that question is we haven't... Um, always had the resources around us to think about how do we help our students to use and to be using those. And you've talked today, Di, about all of those key elements. We need to see explicit demonstrations of those, to try those with the teacher through that um, demonstration with text and to then use it as we read. Yep. So I think we might... Call that a wrap for today. Unless well, I'm sure there's okay. still something. Mm. I'm sure there's still other things that you, we could add on here. Oh, um, there are. But so um, many things. Yeah. But for um, we hope that that gives, and maybe we do a follow up. Um, sure. One on comprehension, but I think that's a, um, answers some big questions around how can we teach it effectively. And that big shift from not having students just answering, you know, like what is it to be a comprehender? It's about using those strategies and knowing how we can use them for anything that we're reading. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't even talked about critical literacy. No. And, um, you know, we need to be able to read for bias etc so yes there's there's lots 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 to do lots more but I think it's been good we've and I love that you've been able to um talk with us about you know have that list of what those comprehension strategies um are so and I think that's just so helpful for people to feel like okay we know where we can go what is it that we're trying to um help our readers to use in their own reading and by knowing that list I think that can help us as teachers learn more about those to be more explicit in what we're teaching yep for sure so thank you so much Di as always for that wonderful um, 
for the think aloud that you do, that you let us into really clearly, let us into your thinking and how we can, as teachers, use that to great effect and for high impact for our own learners. So really appreciate all of your insights and wisdom into all things comprehension. Okay. It's always wonderful to talk with you because you're so knowledgeable. So thank you, Sharon. Oh, thank you, Di. And we will have plenty of things for people to follow up with in the show notes. Okay. Um, And I think there's um, some of the books you've mentioned too. We'll pop those up because people always love to know. Um, Oh, just to have books brought to them, titles of books that we can go. Um, Now, what was the name of the, um, the book that you read about Holly? That was the land of never endings, the land and it's of never endings. endings, and it's by Kate K A T E Saunders, um, and you know, it's just got so many great uh, accolades. Yes, well, um, I feel like I I don't know that I've come across Kate Saunders. No. Well, um, fortunately, I um, go to a great children's bookshop and I know you've got a couple over there too. And um, uh, if I spend time just browsing there, I come across new books all the time. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm, of course, Kate Saunders has got me so in to that book already. Mm, You want to read it? I want to read it. (laughs) It needs to be in my collection too. All right. So thank you, Di, and thanks to everyone for joining us today. We've loved to see that so many of you have subscribed to our episodes from all corners of the world. The Teacher's Toolkit podcast is all about giving you an insider's guide to top teaching ideas, tools, techniques in literacy teaching and learning. So please subscribe to our weekly newsletter via the website and you'll receive advance notice on blogs, podcasts, events and ways to contact us. And thank you, Di. All the best to you and to all of our listeners. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit qlearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.